Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. Well, it's been a long time since I've been behind my microphone. I'm sorry for all the radio silence, you guys. This season, farming has been incredibly engaging, inspiring, and also overwhelming for me. Lots to talk about at some point. Um, But right now, it's July, mid-July. There's a thunderstorm rolling outside my window. It forced me into the house, and so I thought, hey... Now's a great time to record a podcast (laughs) at long last. So here we are. It's summertime and the living is definitely not easy for us farmers. Um, All these severe storms that are rolling through every day this time of year here in Philadelphia has made it feel kind of downright dangerous and a little bit extreme to be farming. Um, Honestly, uh, it can be a little unnerving. I think we got something like six inches of rain in an hour just the other day. I'm probably currently getting about another six inches of rain at the moment. So all those heavy downpours can really beat up the field and the soil gets really compacted by all those fat raindrops, which are barreling down at a speed of about 20 miles an hour um, and going whap right on the top of the bed surfaces. And it really, really takes its toll. And then there's the weeds. Oh my God, the weeds. Uh, They definitely get the upper hand really fast in this hot, steamy environment that we've got going on here. I am guessing it is fairly similar for all of you in the Northern Hemisphere, at least. Those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, just enjoy that winter lull a little bit more deeply for the rest of us, please. But the struggle bus has definitely rolled up here to the curb in mid-July for me, and it can be really hard to resist throwing your hands up in the air and defeat and boarding that bus and abandoning all your hard work (laughs) because you're just so sick of doing this. My favorite tool this time of the summer that kind of combats all the problems that come at once is cover crops. And so I thought today would be a great time to dive a little deeper into the topic of cover crops on a small-scale regenerative no-till farm. Cover crops hold soil in place during heavy downpours, like we're getting right at the moment. Cover crops smother weeds, and cover crops will make you feel like a rock star, frankly, (laughs) because they always look amazing when everything else feels like a shit show. Um, So really, cover crops are the best medicine for a farmer's mental health. If you haven't tried them, I hope this episode will inspire you to. They're actually very addictive to grow. Sometimes I only want to be a cover crop grower. And they've got some sort of special magic to them where they seem to just, I don't know, they just solve all the problems. So let's dive uh, into detail about cover crops in this episode. And I hope I leave you inspired and feeling a little bit more sane at the end of it. Rarely in the diverse world of agriculture is there one golden rule or one silver bullet for every single farm. But when it comes to soil health and long-term farm sustainability, there actually is. And that is 
keep the soil covered at all times. So I'm going to repeat that just so everybody got it. There is one golden rule and one silver bullet for all farms out there. And that is keep the soil covered at all times. Without something covering it, soil is at risk of erosion from heavy rain or winds, and the vast cosmos of life that inhabit the soil experience high mortality from exposure and lack of food. Also, when the soil's bare, weeds come on board. That's because weeds are there to cover the soil. If you don't cover the soil, Mother Nature is going to cover the soil. So you might as well get your say in first by skipping to the front of the line and sowing some cover crop seeds so Mother Nature doesn't put a bounty of weeds in the place. When you don't have anything on that soil, fertility also takes a huge hit when the ground is left bare, particularly with continuous mechanical tillage. American and Canadian farmers learned this lesson the hard way, way back in the 1930s, when the Dust Bowl devastated the Midwestern Plains and brought North American agriculture to its knees. With living roots in the soil at all times, Soil structure is protected from erosion, and all that life under our feet is well-fed by root exudates. In turn, the underground community eats, and it poops, and it decays eventually when it dies, all of which feeds the plants in return. In contrast, when there's no living roots in the soil, that generous cycle of give and take is broken. In surprisingly short order, soil degrades, aggregates break down, compaction builds up, runoff increases, and ultimately fertility plummets. Oh, and a lot of carbon goes poof into the atmosphere, which is definitely no bueno. As farmers, we can't always manage to keep a productive cash crop going in every bit of the earth we are stewarding. Cover crops get a lot of hype for their use in the colder months when you may not be able to grow a cash crop due to the light or temperature limitations. But I really find cover crops to be the most valuable at my farm during the summer. Why grow a cover crop when you could grow a flower? Two words, my dear friends, weed management. <laughs> so raise your hand if you've got at least one bed that's got thigh-high weeds overtaking those spent cool annuals right now. You can't see me, but I've got two hands and a leg raised over here. <laughs> we all cringe when we walk past those beds. You know you really need to get those weeds pulled before they go to seed, but it's so dang hot and humid you just can't muster the energy. Plus there's a million other tasks that's got to get done by the end of today. Next thing you know, you're feeling like a total failure. But for the record, you are not a failure. You're just like every other farmer in the middle of the summer. All right, so do you want to know my secret? Don't pull the weeds. Instead, get a push mower or a string trimmer and mow down that bed. It's so much faster and way more cathartic. Yeah, none of that hand pulling weeds, people. <laughs> Then grab some buckwheat seed, broadcast that over the bed, place some frost cloth directly on top of the bed and weigh it down with some rocks or sandbags, whatever you got, so it won't blow away. Come back in three to five days and voila, you've got a gorgeous stand of baby buckwheat forming. Take off that frost cloth now because the seed is germinated and the birds are no longer going to pick at it. And then over the next two to three weeks, you'll get a kick out of walking by this buckwheat bed, seeing how lush and healthy it is. Because you know what? It loves hot, humid July. 
you are gonna feel like a pro every time you get a glimpse at it. And then after 30 days or so, you're gonna be able to mow it down and that's gonna reveal a beautiful weed-free bed with the healthiest, most moist soil ever ready for planting. And it's gonna be perfectly timed for those late season crops like amaranth and sunflower. So it's just way, way, way more, I don't know, enjoyable <laughs> than trying to yank out lamb's quarters and spiny amaranth and some of the other bad boys, myelaminate vine, all those bad boys. If you try to hand weed those things, it's incredibly discouraging. Better to just get that mower out. Just mow it down, guys. Just mow it down and then sow your cover crop. For this reason, I order a 50-pound bag of buckwheat seed at the start of every season, so I always have it on hand. I actually keep it in my cooler because it's seed and it needs to stay nice and cool um, and dry to remain viable. So make sure you store your 50-pound bags of cover crop seed in a good spot. And then, because you've got the seed on hand, anytime there's a patch, large or small, of overly weedy bed, you're going to be able to get out there and give it what I call the buckwheat treatment. <laughs> it's a total game changer, and you're going to feel so much better about those weeds. So I'm guessing I've got your interest now with that buckwheat story. So let's get a bit more technical about cover crops so you can learn to use them in many different situations, not just on a weedy bed in July. There are several considerations a farmer typically takes into account when choosing exactly which cover crop to grow. It can be daunting to sort this all out on your own because much of what has been written about cover cropping is for large farms with big equipment and forage needs. But my farm, and likely your farm, is not large and doesn't have big equipment. Our needs are different. When I am choosing cover crops for my small-scale regenerative flower farm, I focus on the following three considerations. One, the window for sowing and growing it. Two, the termination method that I'm going to use. And three, what does the soil need? Or sometimes, what do I need in the case of the buckwheat? All right, so let's talk about the window of sowing and growing first, that first element to consider. Cover crops and green manures are always direct seeded. As such, the soil's temperature at the time you plan to sow the seed is critical to successful germination. Some types of crops do well germinating in cooler soils, so like below 60 degrees. Some seeds would simply rot away in those same conditions. So those are the warm season crops. They need soil temperatures 70 degrees or warmer. You'll typically see cover crops broken into two categories when they're listed out on a supplier's website or in a catalog or a book or something. They're either considered cool season or warm season cover crops. Be sure you know which season the crop you're eyeballing prefers and keep that in mind when you are planning on sowing it. <laughs> so in other words, I would never sow buckwheat. Buckwheat is a warm, loving season crop. So it's a warm season cover crop. I would never sow buckwheat in March or April. It just wouldn't germinate well. The seed would rot out. It wouldn't be successful. 
So buckwheat is not a crop to be used in early spring or late fall or definitely not over the winter. It's, it wants to grow when things like tomatoes are thriving or zinnias or celosia. <laughs> this is a flower podcast after all. So you want to you want to be sure that you're sowing buckwheat when it will thrive in hot weather. But in contrast, something like winter rye really needs cool season or cool soil temperatures to germinate really well. So that's that's what I'm talking about here is you really need to have an eyeball on what is the soil temperature that a particular cover crop wants to germinate at. Additionally, how long do you have before you want something to grow or something else to grow? So like think about that window of time that you'll be able to grow the cover crop in the space before you want to put your cash crop back in there. Cover crops growing over the winter are really easy to schedule because, you know, usually you're not putting a cash crop out in the field in the winter unless you um, have some really mild winters. So cover crops in the winter are easy. But then in the summer, when you're plugging in green manures or cover crops like buckwheat, you really have to think about your summer planting schedule and carefully consider when you're going to want to have that bed back for your cash crop. So this is the reason why I love buckwheat so much. It loves the hot, humid summers and it typically reaches peak biomass in just 30 days. So it is such a nice little narrow window of production for buckwheat. It's really easy to plug and play it in there. But there's lots of other warm season loving cover crops, but their their days to maturity is a bit longer. And so they're not always ideal if you need to get that bed space back into production. All right, so next up, you want to consider the termination method. This is basically, how are you going to kill this stuff <laughs> when you don't want it anymore and you want to get a cash crop back in there? So that's what I mean by termination method. If you got a tractor or a flail mower, you can handle just about any cover crop out there. That's, that's like the quickest, fastest way to terminate a cover crop is with a flail mower. But many flower farms, such as mine, are smaller with a bed layout that is not conducive to bringing a tractor into the middle of the field in the height of summer. So in this case, you'll want to use tarps and smaller pieces of equipment like a push mower or a string trimmer. The following steps are what I use when I'm terminating a cover crop or green manure. Uh, and when I say green manure, guys, I'm talking about buckwheat's considered more of a green manure because it's used during the warm season and the growing season. Cover crops, in theory, that refers more to uh, wintertime grown crops, but they basically function the same way. And so cover crops and green manures get switched. That terminology gets switched back and forth a lot in the industry. Cover crops are more commonly known, so I'm I'm going to refer to both in this episode. <laughs> anyway, back on script. Uh, so the following steps are used in my farm to terminate a cover crop. First, if the crop is tall and especially dense, like rye or um, sorghum sudan grass or something like that, I use either a string trimmer or hedge trimmers to knock it down. Then I run my mulching push mower over the bed to get it all chopped up nice and fine and get it the, the stubble down as low to the soil as possible. 
If the cover crop is more tender like buckwheat, God, I love buckwheat. <laughs> Because, because in that case, I can just push mow it down from the start. I don't have to get the hedge trimmers or the weed whacker in there. I can just mow it down. This is another reason buckwheat is so delightful. Because it's really soft and tender and it's easy to just chop it up. I am well aware that using a push mower is not going to work for larger scale operations. I do farm and steward nearly six acres in total. But a push mower works for me because I'm doing this work usually just on one no-till bed at a time, which is rarely more than 600 square feet at a time. So a push mower is the most effective tool for me at that scale. Each farm's context is different and you're gonna to have to choose your equipment accordingly. So I just wanna put it out there because I know somebody <laughs> is gonna comment about how it's ridiculous that I'm using a push mower to terminate cover crops. You use what works for you, what makes sense for your own context. Every farm is different. If you've got a kick-ass BCS, that's awesome, use that. If you've got a fantastic John Deere tractor and you can get it into your beds, use that. Use whatever works for you. Okay, so back to those steps for terminating the cover crop. Depending on the size of the space or bed, after mowing, I use either landscape fabric or tarps to place over the area that was cover cropped and then let that tarp or landscape fabric in place from anywhere from five to 15 days, depending on the weather and our planting schedule. What this does is it excludes light and it helps break down the biomass faster and just weaken any remaining vigor in that cover crop. So if it's warmer out and it's a more tender crop, um, I can just leave the tarp on for five days, pull it off, and we're good to go. If it's earlier in the spring and it's cooler outside and it's something robust like winter rye, that's really hard to get it to break down fast and to weaken it. So in that case, I often have to leave the tarp on for 15 days or sometimes even longer, just depending on how it's all breaking down. So you'll just have to judge, just peek under that tarp every few days, see whether it looks like the biomass is starting to decay, it looks like the cover crop's really dead, and then you'll know you're good to go. So I choose to take the tarp or the cover or the landscape fabric off as soon as possible at my farm because I don't like having beds that don't have living roots. Remember? That was one of our, our silver bullets for helping our soil is to have living roots in the soil at all times. So when there's a tarp over top, it is providing protection from things like heavy rain and wind erosion, but it is not feeding the soil microbes the way living roots do. So you wanna get back to having living roots in the soil as quickly as possible. And frankly, that also helps keep your farm profitable as, as possible. So that's also a consideration. You don't wanna leave um, good working land under tarps for too long. It's just a lose-lose. The longer they're under there, um, the more the soil life loses and the more your farm loses. All right, so that's it. That's, that is all I do to terminate cover crops. It's not scary, you guys, I promise. So to recap, all I do is I use string trimmer or hedge trimmer if it's a big beefy cover crop to chop it down and or then I use a push mower to mulch it up a bit more, mulching push mower, put a tarp over for five to 15 days and then pull it off and go plant like you normally would do. So it's really, really not as complicated as it sometimes can seem for people who have never done it before. I promise it's very, very easy to terminate the cover crop. But it is one thing you need to consider 
when you're choosing a cover crop that's going to work in your context. Something like sorghum sudan grass is a massive, massive crop. It, it gets huge. Um, it's highly recommended for soils that are compacted or need lots of biomass. So you'll see sorghum sudan grass recommended a lot in the literature, so to speak. But it's really only a good idea if you're a farm that has a flail mower and a tractor. If you don't have those things, I would advise you to steer clear of sorghum sudan grass, at least in the beginning when you're first getting your head wrapped around cover crops. That is not a cover crop for beginners. Similar ones are things like there's sunflowers that can be used for cover cropping. I would be careful of that unless you have really good termination equipment, stuff like that. So definitely go with the stuff that's easier to terminate in the beginning and then work your, your choppers up, so to speak, <laughs> to the bigger stuff. All right, so my third consideration when choosing a cover crop is what does the soil need? This is probably the most important one. Um, and there is so much context, context that is specific to your farm, only you will really be able to determine this factor. So for instance, if you have sandy soil and struggle with getting your organic matter percentage up, you'll wanna choose a cover crop that is known for its biomass. Conversely, if you have com compacted clay soil and struggle with drainage, you'll want to choose a cover crop that is known for having a large fibrous root system that's going to really help create um, more air pockets in your soil. If you want to capture nitrogen naturally, you'll choose a legume, a legume crop <laughs> that can form nitrogen gathering nodules on its roots. And if you want to combat a fungal disease or a pest buildup, you'll maybe want to choose a crop that's known for disease suppression uh, or creating beneficial insect habitat. Each farm's needs will be unique, so this part is going to require a little research on your behalf. SARE and many of the cover crop seed suppliers provide excellent reference materials for which crop solves which problems. In particular, I like to use the cover crop chart that Peaceful Valley provides on groworganic.com. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. At my farm, I've settled on a few favorite cover crops I return to over and over again, while also dabbling with a few new ones each season. You can use this list as a jumping off point to get started. However, I really encourage you to explore the great diversity of what's out there in the world of cover crops. You need to dial in your own mixes that are best suited for your farm's unique context. Some quick data about my farm, which is pertinent as to why I love the cover crops I'm about to talk about. My farm is zone seven. It has silt loam soil that is extremely fast draining. I fought compaction in the form of a plow pan from past tillage. And these days my organic matter is generally above 6%, in some places as high as 10%. And that percentage is that high, by the way, thanks to all my cover cropping. So it will definitely increase your organic matter. All right, with all of that in mind, here's the list of my favorite cool season cover crops. Winter rye, this is excellent for loosening clay soils 
and encouraging mycorrhizae, and it's just generally overall got great biomass for increasing organic matter in your soil. Winter barley, it also has great biomass. It's super cold hardy, like, like I don't know. I'm pretty sure Alaska can grow it. Don't quote me on that. I don't know for sure, but it is very, very, very cold hardy. And if you're in zone five, four, whatever, you are probably going to want to look to winter barley. <clears throat> What's really nice about it is you can also cut the seed heads in the spring for bouquets. So it's a really nice filler early in the spring when you're kind of struggling for some other, um, other bits to add to your bouquets. There's also triticale is a favorite of mine. This is an older version of a grain, um, sort of similar to wheat. Uh, soil life just loves this stuff. Triticale is just so great for soil life. I always see my soil sort of jump up afterwards. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it exactly, but everything sort of starts humming along after I use triticale. It has an excellent root system and it is also very cold hardy. So a lot of times I tend to mix into my winter cover crops. I do a mix of winter rye, barley, and triticale. Um, those three really have fun together basically. All right, another um, one to sow is vetch. It fixes nitrogen, it has good biomass, and it's a good companion for the um, those three I just talked about, the barley, rye, and triticale. Uh, the reason for that is the vetch likes to climb those in the spring, and it really does add a ton of biomass, but <laughs> word to the wise, don't let your vetch go to seed. It becomes a weed very, very quickly. So use with caution when I'm doing a mix of cover crop seed for my winter mix, I only put in about 5% vetch so that it doesn't overtake the world. I would say don't ever plant vetch by itself, not in my opinion. It's If you need forage, yes, but for us flower farmers, vetch is a little overwhelming. <laughs> be, be warned. All right, another one is tillage or daikon radish. Um, this is a really good one for busting up compacted soils. You're going to want to look for ones that are specifically for cover cropping because just straight daikon radishes don't actually push down through the soil. They tend to pop up above the soil. So you want to look for the ones that have been bred to actually sort of break open that soil and push their root down, down, down. So the other thing it does is it really improves drainage because you're creating those air pockets and it's very, very quick to grow. So um, daikon radish is a nice one to just sort of throw into the mix. Uh, just a handful here or there really helps. Phacelia is one of my very favorite cool season cover crops because it has such good biomass. It's a native to the western United States. Not native everywhere, but if you're in the western United States, that's one of your native wildflowers. It does an amazing job of weed suppression in the spring because it's just such a dense grower. It's attractive to beneficial insects in the spring, which you really want to bring those in so that they can help you combat things like aphids that start to come on. Um, as the weather warms up. And then bonus, you can cut this for bouquets. It's not like the most amazing uh, filler ever, but it is really interesting. It's prolific uh, and it smells like grapes. So uh, I, I like Phacelia just to, to punch in a little, um, it's like a lavender blue color, it punches in a little color into springtime bouquets. Bell beans are another great cool season cover crop. These, This is a legume and it fixes nitrogen. It's also got a lot of good biomass 
and it's just nice to mix with some of the ones above just to get a different leaf shape. Uh, when it comes to cover cropping, it's always advisable to use a lot of diversity in your cover crops just so that you get, well, diversity of diversity, diversity. That's the name of the game in regenerative farming. It just provides different uh, ecosystem services, feeds different beings in the soil and so forth. So bell beans um, are a really nice one to just throw into the mix. It germinates really well in cool and cold soils as well. So it's a good one if you're in a cold location. Mustard, you can use mustards as a cover crop. This is one that's often used to fight soil-borne diseases. Um, generally speaking, I don't use a lot of mustards unless I really do need to fight things like um, fusarium and pythium and stuff like that. Um, if left to flower in the spring, it can actually be really pretty in bouquets as well, the yellow flowers that come up when it bolts. And then crimson clover is another wonderful cover crop that enjoys the cool, cool weather, cool season cover crop. It fixes nitrogen, always a bonus. It's attractive to those beneficial insects again. I just want to stress that having habitat and food for beneficial insects early in the spring in your fields is going to be hugely helpful to your pest fight. <laughs> Whenever you've got ranunculus and anemones and some of those other goodies blooming in your tunnels, but not a lot of flowers out in the field yet, things like aphids tend to build up fast because the beneficial insects don't have a food source yet. But if you can get some of these cover crops flowering out in your field early, you're going to bring in those beneficial insects like parasitoid wasps, green lace wings, ladybugs, and so forth. You're going to get them into your ecosystem faster, and then they can help you with that pest control. So think about your cover crops as sort of pest management as well. And when it comes to crimson clover, it's also a great cut in bouquets. So bonus, bonus, bonus for those of you with small scale spaces and not a lot of room to spare. All right, so that was cool season. Now let's talk about my favorite warm season cover crops. Buckwheat, we've already talked a lot about buckwheat, <laughs> so I don't feel like I have to go too far into it. But just to recap, it grows super fast. That is one of its best, um, best attributes. It's also great for beneficial insects. They love buckwheat, and so you'll draw in some really great friends that way. And then it breaks down really, really quickly in a bed. So that means that you'll be able to flip that bed more rapidly. So those are sort of the superpowers of buckwheat. Another warm season summer cover crop are cowpeas. This is a really great one for biomass. Um, the buckwheat is not so great for lots of biomass. Buckwheat will not build up your organic matter very fast in my experience, but something like cowpeas will. Um, it just has a much, much bigger, more fibrous uh, leaf, and so that creates more biomass in the soil, uh, more organic matter over the long run. Cowpeas are also really good at weed suppression. They fix nitrogen and they're good at loosening clay soils. So if you've got clay, that might be a good one for you. 
Another favorite summer cover crop of mine is dwarf sorghum. Emphasis on the dwarf. <laughs> um, you can definitely grow sorghum, like the regular sorghum as a cover crop um, or as a cash crop, but the regular size sorghum is really hard to terminate. Like, whoa, super hard to terminate if you don't have a flail mower and other big equipment. So the dwarf sorghum is much, much better. It does all the same things as larger sorghum. It has phenomenal biomass. Like this, this is going to ramp up your organic matter in your soil so, so fast. So you have phenomenal biomass. It's also excellent at weed suppression. It germinates really, really fast and covers the bed very quickly. So like no weeds can get in there and take over. And then when you're, you know, ready for it, you can cut it for bouquets. It, it holds on the plant for a long time, the nice spikes that come up at sorghum. So it has a beautiful, um, a beautiful sorghum head there, grain head. Uh, and you can use that for bouquets when it's really pretty new, uh, newly developed, and then you can keep using it for weeks um, and, and it just continues to be productive. But then when you're ready, you just mow it down and you put all that biomass back into your soil. That's what's different than if you were growing it as just a cash crop, you usually don't put all the biomass back into the soil. All right, and then another one that I like is flax. So a lot of you maybe have grown flax, um, but maybe haven't thought about it as a cover crop, but it's a really good summertime cover crop. It's very fast to germinate. You can sow it thickly, so it'll suppress weeds. The beneficials love it, and then you'll be able to cut it for autumn bouquets. So it's another great one to weave into your system. All right, now that I've given you the list of some of my favorite cover crops, based on cool season and warm season. I know you're all gonna be wondering about sources for all the cover crop seeds. There are many out there and I have used primarily three. Those are Deer Creek Seeds, King's Agra Seed, and Peaceful Valley. Also Johnny's Seeds um, provides excellent cover crop seeds as well. I'm gonna to link to the ones that I know about in the show notes, so definitely check there for direct links. There are many, many, many seed suppliers out there. I would encourage you to shop around for the best pricing by pound, but also carefully consider shipping costs. If you can purchase closer to home, especially if you can pick it up, say at a livestock feed store, it will help cut down on costs considerably because the cost of cover crop seed is really pretty cheap, but then when you're ordering 50 pound bags of seed, it adds up really fast in terms of freight. So you wanna get this stuff as close to home as possible. Um, so do shop around and look at the shipping costs, not necessarily just at how much does the seed cost. All right, so I think that covers cover crops in a nutshell, sort of. There's so much more to know and learn about this. So for more discussion on soils and sustainability and cover cropping in the world of flower farming or small-scale regenerative farms, be sure to join the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network. You'll find a transcript for this episode there along with many other great resources. I'm gonna include a link to the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network in the show notes so you can click right over there. Hopefully this episode has helped you feel less befuddled by cover crops and more empowered to tackle building soil health and fertility at your farm this season. There's nothing quite as rewarding as looking out over a swath of green and lush cover crop knowing that it's doing so much good for your farm.
Well, that wraps up another energetic episode of No-Till Flowers. I'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil. Mm -hmm.